0: You're listening to The Naked Pravda. This is Medusa's first and only English language podcast. So please don't be shy about recommending us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Welcome to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Majuza's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, again, and I'm still the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. Fingers crossed that that stays true for forever. On today's show, we'll be talking about how Russia's efforts to contain the spread of coronavirus have impacted the country's justice system, specifically the courts, the jails, and the prisons. In what follows, you'll hear from a handful of experts and activists, plus the author of a recent Medusa story on this very subject, about the burdens and the dangers of Russia's containment measures against the spread of coronavirus, placed predominantly on prisoners, defendants, and defense attorneys. But I think it's important to mention right out of the gate, right now here, that a lot of these hardships aren't exactly new. The coronavirus pandemic and the Russian authorities' attempts to fight it have exacerbated many existing problems. But you shouldn't forget that these issues were already issues before cities started locking down and you know borders started closing. In certain ways, this makes it difficult to report this story because the spread of disease is only part of it. And, you know, these challenges and obstacles will remain well after coronavirus has had its way with us. So that's a charming introduction, right? Yes, this isn't the most uplifting subject, I'm afraid. It's not all roses. You know, and even if it were, the, the florist industry is apparently in dire straits these days. They're there like mass graveyards for tulips and carnations and, you know, whatever, outside St. Petersburg. I saw photos shared on Twitter this week of, you know, giant piles of discarded flowers. The whole world is going to hell, but oh oh well, you know, we're still here and we're skipping through podcasts at double speed, probably fast forwarding to the enjoyable music segues of this show. Anyway, last month on March 18th, in an effort to curb the spread of coronavirus, Russia's Supreme Court imposed a moratorium on all hearings across the nation's judicial system, except for what it called particularly urgent cases. That sounds neat, right? What's an urgent case? According to the Supreme Court, these are cases relating to the imposition, extension, cancellation, or revision of pretrial restrictions, the protection of the interests of a minor or person legally unfit to stand trial, a legal representative's rejection of life-saving medical intervention, and other stuff. And here's the really fun part. Individual judges get to decide what qualifies as urgent. As you might imagine, this has led to some Interesting results. There
1: is this one lawyer who told me that uh, judges haven't uh, prioritized cases involving minors, although the Supreme Court advised so, and it piqued my interest.
0: That's Lily Yaparova, an investigative journalist at Meduza who wrote an article earlier this month titled Law and Order Under Lockdown, How the Coronavirus Quarantine is Making it Even Harder to Find Justice in Russia's Courts. As she learned more about this story, she says she came to view the quarantine measures against COVID-19 as a kind of gift to Russia's legal system.
1: I thought, well, um, uh, there is uh, the main point of the coronavirus quarantine for the Russian court system, uh, that it gives uh, the system the gift of deniability. For example, people interrogated without legal representation It's okay, it's quarantine. Uh, Defendants not being able to appear in courtrooms, well, it's quarantine. Police detaining defense attorneys in the streets because they violated self-isolation requirements, well, right in the middle of a pandemic, who cares about some lawyers? Um, And everything becomes insignificant in the face of the disease. And, you know, bad things tend to happen when Russian judges are left unsupervised. And by now they've been already left and supervised for a month so good news.
0: restrictions on movement during the pandemic have made it particularly hard for defense attorneys in Russia to do their jobs there are hearings happening now across the country without courtroom audiences without defendants and sometimes without even witnesses or the defense attorneys several lawyers told Lilia
1: defense attorneys all across the country literally uh, risk their lives to try to stop the judicial system from uh, going completely completely corrupt. They uh, basically violate uh, self-isolation requirements right now. Russia's coronavirus containment measures limit the lawyers, not the prosecutors.
0: This is a hell of a thing when you think about it. Imagine that you've been arrested and you're waiting for your hearing, or maybe you're in prison and you're waiting for parole. If your case manages to be heard on urgency grounds, the whole thing could go ahead not only without you in the courtroom, but in certain circumstances without even your lawyer in the courtroom. And for human rights activists in Russia right now, this is what they're dealing with on a daily basis.
2: I'm Kirill Karateev and I'm the head of international practice at the Agora International Human Rights Group, which is a group that unites over 100 lawyers working in different countries on public interest human
0: rights cases. Kirill says the problems defense attorneys face in Russia, under all the self-isolation regulations now, are no joke.
2: Even lawyers can be prevented from traveling. So parties and lawyers cannot travel across their city or across the country because, well, you may be represented by by a lawyer that is several hundred miles away from you.
0: As for jailed or imprisoned defendants who aren't permitted inside courtrooms, there's supposed to be video conferencing equipment installed in nearly all federal courts and arbitration courts. But lawyers say this technology is often ignored or it simply doesn't work like it's supposed to. When that happens, judges sometimes resort to the same services you've probably been using a lot in the last few weeks to stay in touch with your friends and family.
2: So now judges um, easily accept uh, Skype or uh, WhatsApp as uh, teleconferencing uh, measures. That probably eases the administration of justice where you know it is not necessarily to call a dozen of witnesses where the judge is only to hear the parties on matters of law and fact but when it comes to you know direct examination of evidence of witnesses of experts It it gets more complicated, and uh, I'm not sure that more complicated hearings with witnesses, for example,
0: uh, have gone through. Well, it seems a little slapdash, Skyping into your arraignment hearing is still better probably than being locked out entirely, which can happen. But even in these cases, there are still serious concerns. Kirill says.
2: Now, the trouble with these teleconference and video conferencing measures is that, of course, there is no right of public access because these videos are not broadcast live or, well, anyhow, even uh, they are not uh, available recorded. So there is uh, no possibility to have, you know, public hearing in even in the circumstances again i don't think it would be technically difficult to put you know a hearing on on the court's website or on youtube or uh, anyhow different make it available to the public yet this is not being done and uh, it is of course a major concern
0: i asked kirill how this basically virtual system works in practice. With various parties video calling into the courtroom and key players in a normal trial setting absent completely, what does one of these cases look like, actually? He told me about one instance where a family was forcibly hospitalized following suspicions that their baby, their infant, had contracted coronavirus.
2: So it's compulsory confinement of a nine-month-old child who had two negative COVID tests and the case was in Kemerova and it was decided on WhatsApp so the judge was in the phone the Uh, Consumer Rights Agency was on the phone and the police was at the door waiting for the judge to deliver the judgment, which was, of course, in favor of Consumer Rights Agency. Uh, So, basically, police entered when the hearing was over and took uh, the child with his parents to, to a hospital. Again, they spent three days in the hospital, deprived of their liberty for, again, no reason because the tests were negative. Yet, uh, when the third test came that was also negative, they were fortunately released. But it was like, yes, um, you have a phone conversation and then police enters because it was waiting at the door.
0: Now, getting forced into the hospital with your infant is an extreme example, obviously. But Russia's containment measures against coronavirus have made other ripples in people's lives as well. Valentina Dekterenka, a project manager at the Open Russia Human Rights Group, told me that the new conditions in many cities have made it even easier for courts to impose fines on people for things like supposedly objectionable speech online. In the city of Petrozavodsk in northwestern Russia, Open Russia recently worked with a woman facing these circumstances.
3: She was convicted for writing a comment in support of the anarchist. Last week it was appeal of her sentence, but she couldn't attend because uh, now even in the city, uh, there is a problem with transport. It doesn't work sometimes because of, of quarantine. Uh, and also she lives uh, with a small child and it's dangerous to go out anywhere. So judgment uh, wasn't changed. Uh, she still has to pay the huge fee. Uh, we helped her with crowdfunding, but nevertheless, and the court didn't have the opportunity to hold a conference call, so she couldn't come and uh, defend her rights in court by her own.
0: Since major cities started limiting residents' movements and imposing self isolation requirements, there have also been a handful of incidents where police officers arrested people walking their dogs. Valentina says the cops and the judges have consciously made examples of these defendants, hoping to turn their dog-walking excursions into cautionary tales for the general public.
3: One week ago, uh, in Moscow, uh, was detained a man who walked away with his dog, and he was detained in police office, and The the next day it was a court meeting, so and uh, he had some small fee, but everyone uh, was sure that it wasn't urgent to make a court meeting the next day after he was detained. uh, And it uh, looked like an indicator that this man... uh, doesn't listen what the government say and he didn't sit at home so he have to pay a fee and uh, it's like typical political case to show everyone else that you have to sit at home and don't go for
0: a walk. But okay, getting dragged before a judge because you walked your dog during a pandemic is hardly the worst thing that can happen to somebody right now. So let's talk about something worse. One of the most vulnerable groups in Russia right now, thanks specifically to the authorities' containment measures and to public policy priorities, are people who have already been locked up, people in prison and pretrial detention. To find out more about the situation in Russia's prisons and jails, I turn to a sociologist named Dr. Olga Zivilova.
4: I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the Alexanderi Institute at the University of Helsinki on a European Research Council project called Gulag Echoes.
0: This Gulag Echoes project, incidentally, is remarkably well-timed, given the sudden global health crisis and the particularly bad situation in prisons around the world. When you visit the site, you'll see that Gulag Echoes is actually smashed into a single word at the top. So it looks a little like Gulag chose, or anyway, watch out for that. The project examines how communist successor states in the former USSR have gone about reforming their criminal justice systems to bring them into line with international and European norms. I asked Olga why the spread of coronavirus is uniquely dangerous for people behind bars.
4: Prisoners around the world are really kind of suffering from the pandemic, and they're suffering in two ways. First of all, they are vulnerable in the pandemic because uh, if a virus enters prison walls, Um, it's going to be a rampage because it'll spread very quickly and the death rate will inevitably be higher than among the general population. We know that from all types of data on previous uh, epidemics. And the second way in which prisoners have really suffered is that both in Russia and around the world, one of the major responses of the prison system has been to limit prisoners' contact with the outside world. And of course, prisoners are by definition, supposed to be isolated from the rest of society and prison by design is a place where you're not supposed to have a lot of contact with anybody you want to contact. But uh, during this pandemic, uh, visitation rights have been curtailed. Uh, a lot of, um, In a lot of instances, prisoners can't access their lawyers. Um, human rights defenders and public monitoring bodies can't enter prisons or jails and figure out what's happening on the ground and even um, deliveries of food, medicine, and just basic supplies from the families of prisoners to prisoners have been limited as well. I know of one particular prisoner who has kind of a whole host of illnesses, who's imprisoned in Russia right now. Uh, He's been uh, dependent on... uh, kind of pills his mother sends him, and uh, he's been writing on social media about how uh, it's been completely impossible for him to get these deliveries, even though in his penal col- colony, they're still supposed to make it to him. Uh, but all of his deliveries have been backed up, and he's had a really hard time getting his pills.
0: And are there, like, do we know that people are, are dying in Russian prisons yet, or is that like not those statistics that are available now, or people, are prisoners not dying yet, or...? Are there numbers on this yet?
4: It's a very uh, non-transparent system. And the two kind of major pandemic-related health issues or fatalities um, have been the following. So first, uh, in a penal colony, so in in kind of a prison where people are in for the longer term, in Rizan Oblast, um, there's been a case where a prison guard Uh, was diagnosed with coronavirus and the prison services admitted that this guard in fact has the virus Uh, then there have been very worrisome reports from some jails so remand prisons where people are in for the shorter term in in cities in moscow specifically for example in a place called matroska it's a jail there have been a lot of kind of people with flu-like symptoms really struggling with coughs And um, this jail has been closed for quarantine, but actually uh, the prison services have not admitted that there's any kind of coronavirus outbreak there, but it's completely unclear what's happening. Public monitoring bodies don't really have access. Uh, Often when there are such rumors in in jails or prisons uh, and people start writing, prisoners start writing about it on social media, reaching out to human rights activists, their phones are confiscated. Obviously, they're not supposed to have phones in these places anyway, but often through corruption, they're able to. And and recently, we've seen a lot of kind of phone conf- confiscations happening in these uh, penal institutions. So it's a very non-transparent system. And we don't actually know the numbers. We don't know who's ill. We don't know how ill they are. And there are a lot of conflicting rumors.
0: Olga says this lack of transparency isn't just about counting COVID-19 cases or tracking the diseases spread in prisons. The containment measures have also made it far harder to know about anything that's happening inside these penitentiaries, even when it's people dying in prison riots, which is what happened earlier this month at a maximum security prison in the Irkutsk region.
4: I would argue that we should kind of analyze this event in the broader context of coronavirus, um, even though the riot itself doesn't seem to have been caused by coronavirus at all. Um, So we've seen a huge increase in prison riots all around the world, and these prison riots are sometimes very dangerous. And we've already seen about 110 deaths around the world. from prison riots that are coronavirus-related, and one of them, one of these deaths uh, happened in a Russian prison. So the conflict that took place uh, between prisoners and prison guards wasn't about either sanitary conditions or uh, medical care, or about people getting ill, as a lot of these recent riots have been. But this. Prison, just like a lot of other prisons in Russia, actually all other prisons, are um, sort of to a degree on lockdown, and they're increasingly very, very isolated from the outside world. So obviously deliveries uh, are down, visitation rights are curtailed, and so on. Uh, and importantly, these public monitoring bodies and human rights workers can't actually access these people, can't go to the prison, lawyers can't talk to uh The prisoners, and um, this is producing this kind of hyper isolation in which conflicts can be exacerbated. Prisoners are especially vulnerable to the actions of prison guards. They're even more vulnerable in the face of corruption and violence. And um, here we saw a giant violent outbreak, and even now, public monitoring bodies are having a very hard time accessing the prison and getting there just to figure out what exactly happened, how many people actually died because it seems like it was one death, but we don't even know how this person died. We don't even know for sure where um, the people who started the riot are at the moment because they were sent out of this prison. They seem to be in a remand prison in the region, but nobody's confirmed this because the remand prisons are in lockdown and they're not letting anyone in. So, you can see how this whole pandemic lockdown is actually really exacerbating the situation with transparency, violence, corruption,
5: and so on. I study prison, uh, prison medicine in Russia, and uh, relationships between uh, prisoners and prison officers and uh, prison authorities.
0: That's Ksenia Runova, a junior researcher at the Institute for the rule of law at the European University at St. Petersburg. I asked her how exactly healthcare in Russian prisons falls short of what's needed to tackle the spread of coronavirus.
5: The the problem is the poor quality of prison medicine uh, in Russia, Uh, not only in epidemic situation, but Always. In Russia, um, prison medicine is a part of uh, the panel system and prison medicine is not connected with uh, civil medicine. Prison hospitals have very few medical equipment, in particular ventilators and coronavirus protective equipment. It's uh, doubtful that the government will help uh, prisoners and uh, prison hospitals with that. Also, um, if prison officers and uh, doctors would want to send inmates to a civil hospital, uh, it is possible, but it will be difficult to organize because some prison officers must escort them to hospital and then guard them in this hospital. Uh, but there are not special, no special guards for this purpose.
0: In the grand scheme of things, how how important would you say the health and the well being of prisoners is among the Russian sort of general public. I mean, this is obviously this is a an issue in every country, prisoners rights and how much the general public bothers to care, and so on. Is this on people's radar in Russia right now? are, Are people concerned about the prison population? Or is that the last of their worries right now?
5: I think that this um, that bother only uh human rights defenders and uh, maybe uh, researchers and some uh, people like that and um I think that um and and f- for government, uh, the same situation, uh, because in current situation, the government and people uh, pay attention to the difficulties of um, vulnerable segments of the population after all others, because they have problems too, and the government and people, they uh, value this problem more, Uh because of that and in different countries not only in Russia um, uh, the most vu- vulnerable categories are homeless people prisoners and um, sex workers and some, something like that and uh, yeah
0: hearing all this i found myself asking what government authorities are supposed to do with their prison populations during this pandemic in countries across the world not just in Russia certainly COVID-19 poses a massive threat to this vulnerable group. But what's the best policy if the options range between emptying the prisons and locking them down tighter than ever? Olga Zyvelhova says sweeping amnesties would be a good idea in Russia.
4: I mean, prison systems are very different and maybe there's no kind of uniform recipe to what should be kind of the the route forward. But um, even having said that, I think after all of the kind of monitoring and research I've done, I would say I'm kind of on the side of people who argue for amnesties. Uh, Now, ironically, amnesties are not the kind of uh, democratic route forward necessarily because the first countries to implement amnesties were Syria, Bahrain, uh, Iran had an amnesty, I think. I don't really know why this happened. This could be something about... uh, prison overcrowding and their fear uh, that the pandemic will spread extremely quickly in prison walls. Maybe they don't want any responsibility for the health of these people. So they're keen to let everybody out quite quickly. Uh, Maybe the courts are slow or something, or maybe there's a problem with court systems because, uh, for example, in a lot of Western countries like Germany or a lot of states within the United States or France, what they're doing is early releases as opposed to amnesties. So it's not sort of a blanket uh, thing where you write up a list of people and they're kind of let out the next day. Early releases are really kind of tied to court proceedings. They have to do with each kind of criminal record of each person. Um, they seem to me kind of bulkier and slower and they depend on like a fairly swiftly working court system. Some countries, again, Germany has implemented sort of blanket early releases like for older prisoners whose sentences are coming to an end within the next year or something like that, for example. But Amnesties seem to me to be really the fastest route forward for any system, regardless of what uh, the courts are like and regardless of what kind of the regulations are like or the overcrowding is like and so on.
0: Nova agrees that an amnesty program would relieve stress on the prison system. But she warns that certain kinds of prisoners could remain at risk of contracting and spreading coronavirus in the general public if they're released.
5: I think that um, the amnesty is a good idea, but with uh, limitations. Uh, the project which I uh, see, and this, proj- uh, this uh, draft law is in uh, the Parliament, uh, they suggest uh, release inmates who are imprisoned for non-serious unintentional crimes, and other uh, some categories prisoners, but um, not uh, uh, serious crimes and not um, repeat offenders. I think that um, this is Right, because some people, some people can say that uh, more categories of prisoners ca- could be released, uh, but many uh, prisoners, especially repeat offenders, have nowhere to go. They uh, have no money. Their relationships with the relatives are bad, and um, quite possible they will not be able to comply with self-isolation and social distancing rules. It can be dangerous uh, to release them. Um, and the government uh, should have them inside prisons, these uh, repeat offenders, which um, we can't uh, release, or provide them with financial support after release.
0: In other words, Russian policymakers have their hands full when it comes to this pandemic and the nation's prisons. To make matters even more complicated, there are instances now where prisoners are moved within the jail system in Russia to try to keep them from being exposed to possibly infected populations at certain jails or certain prisons. But even these well-intentioned policies can have unfortunate consequences, as Olga Zivilova explains.
4: In Moscow specifically, but in Russia more broadly, the prison system is really trying to contain the virus, and that's what all the uh, limitations on visitations are about and so on. Um, After there were reports of uh, kind of flu-like symptoms, uh, for a number of prisoners in the jail in Moscow. They closed part of that jail for uh, quarantine. So they tried to contain things, figure out what's happening, um, possibly send in some doctors. And somebody I've been in touch with told me, a study participant of mine, told me that right at the beginning of um, kind of this quote unquote flu outbreak uh, in this jail, He was sent to a court hearing, and uh, then when he was sent off, it became potentially risky for him to come back because people were getting ill. And that seems to be—and they didn't send him back, they sent him to a different jail, which seems to be great for him because he doesn't have to have all these people coughing on him. Um, However, uh, he's been in that jail for five years which is a whole other issue because people shouldn't be spending uh, five years in a jail or a remand prison. But he's been there for five years and he has a lot of stuff there that he's just accumulated. It's all in his room, he's been living there. And all of a sudden he was basically locked out of this, of this place, they didn't let him back in. All of his stuff was there. And because they were organizing kind of quarantine for those who'd fallen ill in that space, they just removed all of his stuff and threw it out his documents, all of his things. He was off in a different jail without any kind of change of clothes, toothbrush, anything. And now when he's due to come back after the quarantine is over to this uh, jail where he spent five years, he's not gonna have any of his, his things there. So um, while they've kind of tried to keep him safe from all the sick people, um, they've also done this horrible thing of just um, throwing away all of his belongings.
0: You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. On today's show, experts and activists described how efforts to contain the spread of coronavirus have affected Russia's justice system, specifically its courts and prisons. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English language show. And I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thank you for listening. Come back soon.